How I love your word, how it lights my path, how it guides my way. This morning's reading is in Acts chapter 21. Uh, Acts chapter 21, the first 14 verses. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, brought us on our way till we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and bade one another farewell. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brethren and stayed with them for one day. On the morrow we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us he took Paul's girdle and bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who, holds this, who owns this girdle, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When they had heard this, we and the people there begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, The will of the Lord be done. Steve, would you like to come forward? Father God, I do thank you for Steve, for the words you've laid upon his heart this morning to bring to this congregation. May you now... Uh, anoint him with your Holy Spirit, and may he speak those words clearly, Lord. May you uh, unblock ears and uh, stop any other impediment to hearing them, Lord. Father, we do pray for a fresh, clear word from you this morning that will speak to the uh, people in this congregation and be relevant to their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Good morning. Good to be with you all. Anyone here ever been lost? Gone outside? I don't mean on the way to Tesco's, because that would be really bad. I mean, really lost, not knowing where you are, not knowing what to do about how to get somewhere. A couple of hands went up. It'd be good to hear those stories, but uh, maybe after the service. I got lost once. I was on top of a mountain with a friend, and uh, the... Mist came in, we couldn't see our way off, lots of sheer cliff edges at the edge. 
Um, compass won't work before you say use a compass because too much magnetic rock, so the compass was just doing this. So we had to spend the night up there and come down the next morning. But even that wasn't really lost. It's quite hard to be really lost. Shirley's here and others are here who've raised their hands. It's very hard these days to be really lost. Many of our stories are probably from a few years ago. Now you can just take your phone out of your pocket if you've got a smartphone and see exactly where you are. Uh, don't tell Suman. But there was once a time when we were, um, we, were having, we were out at a National Trust place in a National Trust maze. And Esther and I were trying to beat Suman to the centre and back out again. And I used Google Maps and zoomed in on the satellite thing. And we got there really, really quickly and back out really, really quickly. Because the phones are made for that kind of thing. But don't tell Suman that because she's very competitive and wouldn't like to know. It's very hard to get lost these days. Except it's quite easy to get lost in our lives. And I don't know how many of you feel that you're a little bit lost. Maybe God has told you to go somewhere. And you kind of feel that you've got lost on the way, that you're not where you thought you would be and where the Lord told you that you would be in five years, ten years, twenty years, however long ago it was that the Lord spoke to you. And you're not in that place now. Maybe something happened on the way to just get you distracted. Maybe you don't know why, but you're not in the place that the Lord called you to be two years, five years, six months, 20 years ago. Maybe something happened and you know, you know what it was. You know that there was a moment when you decided you weren't going to go that way, but were going to go that way, and everything changed at that moment. It might have been a moment of sin. It might have been a moment of failure. It might have just been a bad choice. But something happened and you went away that you thought you shouldn't have gone and it ended up somewhere that, is this where I'm supposed to be? This is not where I'm supposed to be. And you're sitting here trying not to think about it because if I think about it, I know I'm not where I should be. But there's no way back. Well, is there no way back? There is sometimes a way back. There is often a way back. Not necessarily to complete that course that God sent you in the first place, but a modified course from the one that you're on to bring you back closer to where you would have been. Some of us are just wandering aimlessly, to be honest. Never really heard what the Lord has said to us about what we should be doing. Never heard him telling us something that he has for us in mind. Would love to know what the Lord is saying to us, but have never really heard what it is and just feel that we're wandering around trying to... Some of us are still stuck on the couch, just not really sure what to do at all and actually quite enjoying having the rest and just here to watch other people finding their way, sometimes finding it amusing when people get lost, but usually not. Sometimes just sitting there thinking, isn't it fantastic what the Lord is doing in that person's life? Isn't it fantastic what the Lord is doing in that person's life? Oh, isn't it wonderful to see that person's life? But never thinking that there's something for me, never thinking that the Lord has got something for me and is going to call me off the couch to do something. And that's really what we're talking about this morning. Shirley's been letting us think about that a bit a few times this morning as we've been talking about the way that the Lord has guided people in their lives and the things that they've done. And that's what this passage this morning is about. It's about Paul going on a journey. In fact, that's what the rest of the book of Acts is about. Starting a whole chapter ago, Paul began a journey. And the journey ends at the end of the book of Acts. And to be honest, I don't think we really know what to do with the end of the book of Acts. I'll be honest with you. And I'll, I'll tell you something that I suspect over the next few weeks, the chunks that we preach on will get bigger and bigger because we think that there aren't so many good stories. 
We love the beginning, Pentecost and Stephen dying and, and this conversion of the Samaritans and the Holy Spirit coming upon Cornelius and the conversion of Cornelius and the conversion of Paul and all these stories are people bringing sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. We love those stories. But now Acts runs out of steam because Paul's on a journey. It's important to think about this over the next few weeks, the next few months. What is this journey? What's happening to Paul? Because he's begun a journey. We're right at the beginning of his journey now. And we're focusing on where Paul is going, the places Paul is going, and what he is doing on this journey. And it's a significant theme in the book of Acts. Luke is not a poor writer who suddenly decided to waffle at the end because he'd run out of good stuff. He knows what he's doing. And my hunch is we don't give enough attention to something that's actually important because there's just as much good stuff at the end of Acts as there is at the beginning. It's just it's not so obvious to us and we need to dig at it. Does that make sense? So I encourage you over the next few weeks to think about this journey that Paul is on and to meditate on it step by step about the things that he is doing. And there are five things this morning that I wanted to share that come out of this passage in terms of this journey that Paul is beginning on. And the first one is to do with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because prophecy is important. We meet various prophets this morning. We meet the four daughters of Philip. And there's a sense of fulfillment here. The verse that Shirley read out at the beginning, did you spot one significant word in that verse that she read out at the beginning from the book of Joel, as it's quoted in Acts? It says this, In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, on your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. It's sons and daughters. It's not just sons that prophesy. It's sons and daughters. It's women as well as men. And we read here about four daughters who prophesy. It's a clear fulfillment. It's it's keep coming back to saying, this is what God said would be fulfilled in the end times, the end times that we are living in. We meet Agabus as well. For the second time, I don't know whether you remember we met Agabus before, Chapter 11 of Acts, Agabus turns up. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. So he's got track record as Agabus. He's a good prophet who speaks prophetic words into the church about what is going to happen. And he's a reliable prophet that comes from Jerusalem. So him turning up in the story is a significant moment because we know that he is someone that speaks clearly from the Lord. And what Agabus says to Paul comes true. Agabus says to Paul, uh, he binds him with his belt uh, and sa- he binds himself with his belt and says, "Thus says the Holy Spirit: This is the way that the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt." and we'll hand him over to the Gentiles. And it comes true. Well, kind of. It's, uh, Paul is arrested, and then the Gentiles have him. He, he wasn't actually handed over to the Gentiles. Actually, the truth of the matter is the Gentiles rescued him from a Jewish mob. But in the end, yes, he was. He was passed over to the Gentiles. Uh, and it's exactly what happens. Exactly as Agabus has said. His prophecy does come true. You don't have to wait more than a couple of chapters to see that happening. We're about to see it happen. But this passage this morning is not actually about prophecy. Some prophecy happens, but it's not the significant bit, and it's not the bit that I find most exciting about it. We need to talk about it, because something happens, and we'll talk about it for a couple of minutes. But I don't think this passage is primarily about prophecy. 
It's just an aspect of it, an aspect of the story and a part of the story. It's mainly about Paul going on a journey. But there are two stories of prophecy that we need to deal with because Paul doesn't take any notice of it. (laughs) Paul does does the opposite of what the prophets seem to say. At least that's seemingly what happens, and that's a problem. The prophet says to Paul in the church meeting this, and Paul says, I'm not doing that. I'm doing this. And that's a problem. So we need to think about that and work out what on earth is going on. So there were two places that that happened. The clearest one is with Agabus. He enacts his prophecy, does like Jeremiah does with the shattered uh, the pot and like Hosea does by marrying a prostitute. He acts out a prophecy, takes the belt that's wrapped around Paul's waist, a linen sash that would have been round several times around Paul's waist. He takes that and binds himself with it. I'd love to see that. That's quite a... Sort of, you can imagine him there with his feet down and then sort of with his teeth just tying it onto his hands. It's something it would have taken quite a while to be able to do. And explains what's going to happen to Paul. We've just talked about that. When you go to Jerusalem, you will be bound. You will be arrested and handed over to the Gentiles. That's the end of it, Paul. And what's significant is he's come from Jerusalem. So he's speaking about the sorts of things that he knows in Jerusalem. He knows the environment in Jerusalem. He knows what it's like. And he's not just speaking, this is the vibe in Jerusalem at the moment, but he's speaking what the Spirit is saying into that place. What's going on? Why is he speaking these words to Paul? And what is it about Paul that just ignores it? It's the second time that he's been warned in this way in this passage. Just a couple of verses earlier, he was warned about this. So it's clearly the meaning of the prophecies is, Go to Jerusalem. What on earth are you doing? The Holy Spirit is saying, don't go to Jerusalem. So why are you going? So don't go to Jerusalem, Paul, everybody says. And the story doesn't say who tells him not to go to Jerusalem exactly. It just says, we all. But the impression is that that includes the four prophetic daughters of Philip. Otherwise, why has he mentioned those? So you've got four other prophets that are joining in saying, yes, I agree with this prophet. We prophets together have weighed this up. Don't go. And then the we, it says we did that. There are various what are called we passages in the um, book of Acts. And we passages in the book of Acts are places where the story seems to change from they did this, they did this, they did this, to we did this, we did this, we did this, and back to they did this. And it often felt that it's likely that Luke was travelling with Paul at that point. This is a wee passage, so it's likely that Luke is travelling with Paul at this point. So Luke remembers. So Luke is kind of fessing up, going, I was one of them. I was saying to him, don't go, Paul. Everyone was saying, don't go, Paul. And, and we read here that there was such emotion in there that it's bringing Paul to tears, just saying, look, guys, don't do this to me. I'm going. Paul rejects it and says in verse 13 that he is ready to be bound that he is ready to go. For I am ready, verse 13, not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he wouldn't be persuaded, we remained silent except to say, the Lord's will be done. You can almost sense some degree of frustration in that, or maybe it's a sense of faith and realizing that Paul had something else to say. Why is Paul doing that? That probably gives us some insight as to what's happening in Tyre as well in verse 4. We looked up the disciples and stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. A little bit blunter there. They tell him not to go to Jerusalem. They don't just say that bad things are going to happen. Through the Spirit. 
It may be that that's a poor translation, actually. It could just be, on the occasion that the Spirit was moving, they said, don't go to Jerusalem. And I think that's probably the better way of understanding it. So what seems to be happening is this. Agabus didn't tell him, don't go to Jerusalem, you notice. That's what everybody else started to do, applying his prophecy. All Agabus said was, this is what's going to happen if you go to Jerusalem. He didn't say, don't go there. He said, this is what's going to happen if you go to Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, I know this is what's going to happen if I go to Jerusalem, but I'm going there anyway because God's told me to. But thanks for the warning. (laughs) It's nice to know these things, but I'm going anyway. Agabus didn't tell him not to go. Now, in Tyre, it does seem to say that through the Spirit they told him not to go, but actually probably a better way of translating that is on the occasion that the Spirit was moving that they said that. So it seems that there was a time of prophecy and the Spirit was moving and things were said, and some people probably excitedly said to him, don't go, don't go. But it seems that that wasn't a movement of the Spirit that caused them to say that to Paul, and therefore Paul is rejecting it. It's quite interesting that in the Old Testament you weigh up a prophet according to the reliability of the prophet. In the New Testament we're just told to weigh every prophecy as it comes. And every prophet, no matter how reliable the prophet is, you weigh the prophecy that they bring. And Paul has weighed this. And just as a side note for those of us that are prophets, that means that we need to weigh things as we bring them. There are stories there in the church. Um, Mike Bickle tells some wonderful stories about these sorts of things in his work as a pastor amongst prophets. He's not a prophet himself, but he's pastored a church full of prophets. And the number of times that a prophet can jump in and make an assumption about something that they've been told, and it wasn't what they were told by the Lord at all. And there's a moment when we need to think, this word that I've been given, what am I supposed to do with this? Is it obviously applying to that person? Is it telling the person not to do this, or is it just warning the person that this will happen anyway? Am I supposed to come to the front of the church and point my finger at someone? There isn't anybody up in the balcony, but I thought I'd point where no one would think I was pointing at them. Pointing finger at somebody, and actually God was warning that person that something was going to happen around them and wasn't going to happen to them, that they weren't at fault. You know, we need to pray these things through and be wise as we bring words. And sometimes it's right to share them with other people, particularly if they're specific, to work out what it is. Sometimes, sometimes the word, and we need to ask the Lord, is just for something for us to pray about, that the Lord is speaking to me about something I need to pray about and not for me to share. And sometimes as a prophet, we need to understand that that's what we are doing. I'm not a prophet. Those that are will probably know these things and talk about these things amongst others. But it's just to remind us of the importance of doing that. So why was Paul so sure that he was to go to Jerusalem? Why? Two verses in the previous chapters that we may well have overlooked... Chapter 19, verse 21, Paul says, now after, it says, now after these things have been accomplished, Paul resolved in the spirit to go through Macedonia and Achaia and then to go to Jerusalem. He said, after I have gone there, I must see Rome. God had told him in the spirit that he was to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. And he knew that and he'd been on this path for a while. And he knew that's what the Lord had said. Stronger words when he's talking to the Ephesian elders. Two weeks ago, two weeks we spent looking at that sermon, but two weeks ago, Paul said this to the Ephesian elders. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, some translations say, have bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Well, now he does know what's going to happen to him there. But bound by the Spirit. It's difficult to know what that means, actually. 
can imagine what it means, but it's not ever spelled out what it means. But there's some extent to which Paul feels that he's bound, like he is bound by a legal contract. You sign a contract to buy a house, you're bound by that contract, you have to buy that house. You're bound with things around your wrists, you, it, it's your, or you're bound with handcuffs as you're arrested. You are bound. You can't use your hands. You can't do something else. Paul felt bound by the Spirit. He had to do this. God had called him to do this. He had to do this. And he knew he had to do this. And the prophetic words that came, he knew, were a warning, not a forbidding to go there, because God had already told him. And there's, I think this language of being bound by the Spirit is intriguing, and I don't know really what it means. But I imagine it's not just the Lord spoke to me, but he lived daily with the Spirit leading him and impressing upon him and encouraging him and pushing him in that direction and letting him know this is what you have to do. Imagine it was a daily sense of the way he was moving, that door, as Ailey was talking about doors closing and things, that there was a sense of doors closing around him, the Spirit was telling him this is what he had to do. He had fewer options. Because the Spirit told him that's what he had to do. And that's, I think, the critical thing here. What is God saying in a situation? And what is God saying to us? Sometimes that will come through a prophetic word of others. Sometimes it will come by captivity to the Spirit, whatever that means. What is it for us? As we begin our journeys and as we go on our journeys, the most important thing and the first thing is to know what the Spirit is saying, to know what the Lord is saying to us. And if you don't know what the Lord is saying, listen and hear what the Lord is saying. And as words come, discern those words. Because sometimes if it's a word of something is in your head, that's not necessarily saying don't do it. It may well be, but it may not. And sometimes these things will always, these things need to be weighed up. Second thing, I've taken so long talking about something I said was a side point. Second thing, this passage is about following the path that we have been given. A lot of energy is spent describing the journey that Paul goes on and the various places that he passes by. He passes through, he passes through from uh, the west coast of Greece, right underneath Greece and down the side of Turkey and then across underneath Cyprus to, the, uh, to Syria above Jerusalem and then makes his way down the, the coast there. It's a slow journey, partly because the winds were there were unreliable, uh, so many small boats hugged the coast. Every night they pop into a port because the winds would be awful at night, so they have to pop into the coast. So the journey was slow. Unless you could get on a big boat, and a big boat could go, and Paul managed to get on a big boat for the final part of the journey when he went around Cyprus. But he goes past, and Luke tells us the places that Paul goes. He goes past Cos. Cos was famous for its lettuces. That wasn't really. It was famous as the birthplace of medicine, as the place of where Hippocrates was from, and a place of significant culture, also places of various worship of various pagan gods. Past Rhodes. Rhodes was famous for the Colossus, this enormous statue of the Greek god Helios, which may well have been lying on the ground for the last couple of hundred years. Uh, but it was still, a, it was one of the wonders of the ancient world before it had been knocked down in a couple of hundred BC. But even lying on the ground for about 800 years, people used to visit it to look at it because it's such an enormous, you know, what's it, a hundred and something feet tall statue, as big as the Statue of Liberty in the ancient world. And it, people used to go uh, and visit that. These things were significant places that Paul, can you imagine the pull? to want to go and minister in these places. <laughs> Can you imagine what it was like for Paul? To, I, 
want to go to Cos and spend some time in that city there. Either there was a church there that he'd planted or there was a church that he wanted to visit or there wasn't a church there. And I just, I want to, but the Spirit is constraining him. It's to Jerusalem that you're going. Go to Jerusalem. And every time it pulls into a port, it's, I want a minute. It's, you've got to move on. Can you imagine what it's like going past roads and thinking, I want to go and minister. It's moving on because it's to Jerusalem that you're going and then on to Rome. That's where the Spirit is impelling him to go. And there are times when we'll be pulled to go to other places. Luke is telling us about this story that, Luke, that Paul is on, not just to give us historical details, not just to tell us what Paul's itinerary was. It's because this is the journey that Paul was on, and it's the journey that's important. He is making a journey. And journeys have places that you go through, things that you see. Sometimes it's reviewing his past ministry. We're reviewing things that we've known in the book of Acts. We go past Cyprus. Well, that's the first place that Paul went on his missionary journeys. And right back in Acts chapter 13, I think it is, Paul goes to Cyprus. Places that he planted churches. And Paul isn't stopping at those places. Why? Because he's going to Jerusalem, because that's where the Spirit has constrained him to go. And he's taking his time as he did this. We read that he pulled into a port and he was there for a week and looked up the Christians entire. Why for a week? Well, he was on a big boat, and apparently these boats would hold 3,500 tons of wine or stone or 12,000 tons of grain. Can you imagine in the days before cranes how long that took to offload? So this boat was going to be in harbour for at least a week, and Paul took that time and went to visit the Christians and spend some time with them. But the journey was slow, and I think this is something that we've lost. I don't know about you, my week doesn't really have much opportunity for slowness. Doesn't really have much opportunity for just being, sitting on the deck of a boat, thinking what else is there to do, a few sailors to witness to, but not much else to do. No Netflix to watch, no phone to pull out of my pocket when I'm bored, and that's something that occupies my mind. It's just time to mull things over and to talk to the Lord and hear the Lord. And sometimes that slowing down is important on the journey and to give God time. We, we can be impatient. Oh Lord, what do you want me to do? We say, I really need to know this, e- this afternoon. And we go and pray with one of the leaders of the church this afternoon and the Lord says, I want, you to do, I want you to go to Turkey and tomorrow morning we're phoning up a travel agent to get a flight. You know, it's, we can be impatient. And sometimes that's right and sometimes the Lord is saying, slow down. This may well take you five years. This may well take you 10 years, like for Ele. It may take you, how many years to get the Bible translated? 24. Sorry, how long? 24. 24 years to get the Bible translated. These things have to learn Hebrew halfway through. Big things that the Lord tells us to do and it takes time. So time and the journey is important. And to follow on that journey is critical for us. Next thing is... There's something about this journey that's similar to Jesus' journey, the way that Luke tells it. And this, is, I think, is one of the significant reasons that so much of the end of the book of Acts is Paul's journey to Rome. It's because so much of the book of Luke is Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, and he's showing parallelism between them. Jesus in chapter 9, you may not have realized this, but it's chapter 9 of Luke where Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem and then starts going to Jerusalem. And his journey to Jerusalem is from chapter 9 to chapter 19 and then he arrives in Jerusalem. Substantial part of the Gospel of Luke is Jesus journeying to Jerusalem. Same in the book of Acts. A substantial part of the end of it is Paul journeying towards his death at the end. And there are loads of parallelisms that get picked up. Now we can press them too hard uh, and to think, oh, it's putting things, but 
Luke does seem to be doing something about it. Uh, that Paul is burdened to go to Jerusalem, just as Jesus was burdened to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that he was going to suffer when he went there, as does Paul. Three times Jesus spoke about himself suffering there before he went there. Three times Paul is told that he will suffer when he goes to Jerusalem. Paul is told, or the end of our passage today, talks about the will of the Lord be done. And what does Jesus pray in Gethsemane? As he battles with what's going to face him, the Lord's will be. So there's some parallelism here that Luke is deliberately drawing in the way he's telling his story. And what he's trying to say is, this isn't a new path that Paul was treading. This is a path that's been trodden before. This is the path that our master trod, and it's where he went. And where he went, we will follow. There's a temptation sometimes in the Christian life to think that we're going to be blessed by the Lord in such a way that we will be comfortable, and that blessing means comfort. Blessing of the Lord is a tremendous thing, and it blesses us genuinely, but sometimes the blessing of the Lord blesses us, but he still leads us into places of suffering and difficulty and hardship, because that's where he's calling us to go, because that's where our Lord went. So if the Lord is calling you into a place of blessing, then that's fantastic. If the Lord is calling you into a place of hardship and suffering and difficulty where you don't know what the future is, just be rest assured that's where Jesus went ahead of you, and you're following it in the paths of Jesus. So follow in that path and follow after him, knowing that he has gone before you and that we are called to follow him. Fourth thing to say is that Paul traveled with other people. As I said, this is a we passage. This is a place where Luke is involved and others are involved. And he stopped entire and spent a week with the Christians. He sought them out. He didn't know where the church was. He found the church entire to spend time with them. And of course, in Eastern uh, hospitality, ancient hospitality, Paul would turn up at their door and they'd welcome him in. Our hospitality is slightly different to that, but of course he would be welcomed in. But he'd have a week of fellowship, of sharing together. Can you imagine the stories that they told, the missionary stories, the things that Paul was able to tell, the things that they'd be able to tell about what had been happening there, ministering to one another, praying for one another. They parted with each other on the beach, praying for one another. And this walking together is important. Paul then, when he goes to Caesarea, looks up Philip. Do you remember who Philip was? It's one of the seven, seven people who were chosen in Acts chapter 7. Do you remember who the other significant member of the seven was? Stephen. Do you remember who is significant in inciting people to kill Stephen? Paul. What happens as a result of that? People are ejected from Jerusalem. So that's just the beginning when Philip is kicked out. So we've got here... Philip knew of Paul as the one who started the persecution against Stephen, or was significant in that, was then significant in the persecution movement that arose out of it. Paul was responsible, probably a significant factor, in kicking all the Christians out of Jerusalem. And for the figure for Philip had a bad history with Paul. And here they are, loving one another, caring for one another, showing mercy and forgiveness and grace with one another, and sharing stories of what God has done and ministering to one another. And it's that fellowship and that walking together that is significant. And as Paul said, when they said to him, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul said, you're breaking my heart. Because he loved them and loved sitting with them and walking with them. And that's part of our calling too, as we walk together and walk with each other. Martina goes from us and comes back to us and shares with us the things that she's doing because she's part of us and we walk together in these things. That's why we pray for her when she's there, because she's walking with us and she's part of us. And we're in this together. So if the Lord is encouraging you to do something, share with others and spend time with others. And finally, going on the journey is about choosing well. 
I think I've said this over and over this morning, but this is the heart of it, I think. It's hearing what God calls us to do and choosing. Every boat that Paul got on, and we read in the story that he got on loads of boats and stopped at places. He had the opportunity. He chose every time. He made a deliberate choice every time to keep his journey on towards Jerusalem to get there at Pentecost. I suspect one of the reasons that he spent extra time in Caesarea was to get to Jerusalem at Pentecost. He was probably slightly ahead of schedule and spend a bit of time there because that's what he determined to do. He made a choice each and every step of the way as to what he would do. Bound by the Spirit, yes, but made a choice to obey what the Spirit was saying rather than trying to break those bonds off him and run away because the Spirit would have let him. The Spirit would let him have ripped those bonds off and run in a different direction. It's not so bound that it stops him from doing that. And he chose to do those things. And I wonder, what's the Lord saying to you this morning? What's the Lord saying to Ichthus Forest Hill this morning in this season? What's the Lord saying to Ichthus Christian Fellowship today in this season? What choices do we have to make? What's the boat that we have to get on because we will never arrive in Jerusalem if we don't get on that boat today? And that's the first step. What is the choice that we have to make? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for each individual within this church. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would reveal to us what it is you want us to be doing as a congregation, as a fellowship, as individuals. And Lord, would you reveal those things to us. For those of us who've got lost on our way and have taken a wrong turn and have been sitting in cos for the last 20 years or the last six months, Would you speak to us about whether it's right to get back on the boat and where it is you're calling us to go? For those of us who don't know where we're going, I pray that you would show us. And for those of us that need strength on our journey, Lord, I pray that you would give us that strength on our journey and help us. And Lord, let us know, each of us, and as a congregation and as a fellowship, the binding of your spirit, the clarity of your spirit's leading to know where we should be going. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.